Welcome to Beyond Risk and Back. Thank you so much, parents, for being with me yet again on another show. Man, I got the experts here, and I'm just so excited uh, with who I have today because this guy's bringing the resources about ADHD. Oh, my God, we're going to talk about ADHD. Um, Y'all been with me long enough to know how ADHD I am, that my my belief that it's not about, that it's not that I can't pay attention, it's that I pay attention to everything equally, and you are no or less, more or less important than that squirrel that just ran up the tree outside my window. So we're going to talk about it, we're going to dive in because Roman... You know, Wyden has gotten the experts. This guy's put together a documentary with some of the biggest names in the mental health development industry for children and teenagers. So we're gonna we're gonna be jumping in all about ADHD, the tactics, the tricks, the techniques, and the truth really about what this is. Some of these guys that he's got on the books they've written written about the myth of ADHD and the and the ADHD child. So thanks for joining us. You can tell I got some energy around this subject. I really do. This is this has just been my life. Please listen, like, subscribe, and share Beyond Risk and Back with your friends, families, neighbors, and please go leave me a review on iTunes. Just, just take a few minutes. It's the only pay I'm asking for from this because it really does help parents find the show and the parents that are looking for the show need the show. Help them find it with a review. I appreciate that. My guest today is Roman Wyden. Roman, thank you for joining me and our families on Beyond Risk and Back. My pleasure, Aaron. Thanks for having me. I love your energy. I love what you do. I know we're we're definitely overlapping and in sync and both uh, committed to making a difference. So I'm glad to be here. Yeah. I, yeah. How did you get into this? Like, you're a little distracted ADHD yourself there? A little, maybe, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I would say I grew up in Switzerland. You know, I'm 51 now. So when I was a kid, ADHD wasn't a thing. And I just was kept busy. My parents kept me busy with multiple sports. So I played like seven sports. Wow. And I was a DJ. Uh, I had a lot of friends. I was very active, always out and about. So it just was never an issue. I got the grades I needed to move on to the next school. And But still, I know that if I was a kid today, I would be diagnosed with ADHD because like yourself, I can multitask. I can, everything's important at the same time, right? I just saw a leaf fall from the tree out there that reflected in the sun. I'm like, that's cool, right? So, um, but, but like yourself, I've learned to, to make it my superpower. And the, I would say the one thing that early on helped me is to say this, a friend of mine told me this, he said, look, you're just not good at certain things. So focus on the ones you're good at and hire people to do the stuff that you're not good at and you're going to be just fine. Yeah. And that's what I've done. When I hire my accountant for the taxes, I don't do that work myself because I can't freaking concentrate on right. it. Impossible. So I would say, yeah, I have some ADHD. And then my son, my uh, oldest son, Kai, who's now 12, he was diagnosed when he was six well, uh, and the school first the school called us in and said we think he has ADHD and that sort of woke me up to like wait what what is this thing what are we doing and then we just jumped deep into a seven-year research you know journey with my wife and what we've discovered is mind-blowing what we've discovered is that there's a one-sided incomplete narrative around ADHD most definitely that's what I love talking about so let's jump into that experience now that you're, you know, a father with and a, and, and a father with a son with, um, 
do you buy it? I guess that was my first question that I was holding on to, and you kind of just hinted that you don't, but what was the story, what was the narrative that was sold to you as a parent of a child diagnosed with ADHD, and did you buy it, and to what end, to what detriment or success? That's a great question. Uh, I remember this meeting still to this day, sitting there with my son's teacher and the principal. It was a very small school. It was a private school. And they said, well, we think he has ADHD. We think you should take medication. Uh, just so you know, this is for life. You'll get used to it. And if you don't medicate him, the chances of him becoming a drug user, delinquent, going to jail is 80%. <laughs> that doomsday prophecy had me go, yo, yo, yo. Are we talking about my son here? The, the guy I know for six years, right? The very unique kid that, yes, he has a lot of energy, but I don't think so. So I didn't buy it from the, from the get-go. I was just like, this smells like a dead rat because it is a dead rat. And then, you know, like yourself, starting to do the research, I came across many statements, one of them being ADHD is not real. That's a book. It's kind of like, my point is that there was so so much out there that was so confusing because it's like, is it a thing? Is it real? Is it not real? Is it for life? Is it really true that these kids would end up in jail and all that stuff? I was like, well, I got to research that because I can't just take, take a face value because one principal and one teacher said it, right? So I never bought it. Not even from the beginning. I would say I had two moments throughout the first couple of years where my wife and I thought, Maybe should we try medication just to see, which I've since tried all the meds that my son would have gotten. Uh, I wanted to see what it feels like me taking them yeah. right as an adult. Yeah. And once I tried them out for a few weeks each, I was like, no, no, I'm not going to do that. That's super intense. And that was my next question. Did you medicate? And if not, what did you do instead? What was, what was your first tactic? Because I look, I was put on Ritalin in the seventies. And, and because, you know, it was that that was a thing that when they said, here's what an ADHD kid is like and all the other parents in the in the conference are looking at my mom and my mom's like, holy crap, someone is describing my child to a T. I got medicated around fourth grade when the diagnosis became official. And, you know, I, I, the Ritalin messed with me. It messed with my head. And... I have always said, I don't know if I'd have made it through high school without it. However, this 80% will end up in jail. What do the other 20% end up as Michael Phelps or Richard Branson? It's like 80% go to jail. The other 20% become multi, multi-millionaire, most successful people. But let's, let's go back to these beginnings and say, okay, you said no way we're doing the meds. We're, what, what did you do instead? How did you even start this process as a denier? Yeah. We'll just call you a denier. Right. I'm an anti-medder, whatever, uh, medzer. <laughs> so there's a couple of points I want to address and hopefully I won't forget because I'm already excited about everything we're talking about beyond belief. So uh, first of all, I want to make sure parents know if you're listening, uh, we're not anti-meds, right? Sure. I am, I'm the first to reach for, for an Advil when I have a headache. So I'm not anti-medication or, you know, some people are anti-pharma. Uh, I'm more like anti-stupidity or anti, you know, I'm pro-protecting pr children from these very powerful substances. Yeah. So what we said is um, we're first going to do uh, some uh, some therapy, some occupational therapy, some social skills, you know, see if that's the issue. Uh, we're going to adjust the diet. And what we realized is that we, we needed to adjust everything. So we said before we give him meds, we're going to move him to a different school. 
And we moved them to a school that had more freedom. There was a self-directed school with no grades, no homework. Kids learn through play. And one of my guests I've had, Peter Gray, who's an educator and author and expert on, on, on education and learning, says that's actually the only way they learn, through play. Everything else is memorization of information that they're given so they can get a grade. But how they really co-regulate and learn is through play. We think they don't learn anything while they're playing. They're just playing, right? But they're actually learning. So we changed schools and our son totally calmed down. Um, we also, my wife and I's marriage wasn't solid. Um, I had infidelities. I was hiding. I can say this now because this is now, we're currently rebuilding our marriage. We're, we're, we're separated. We're about to move in again together. And we avoided a divorce thanks to my wife being very, you know, I'm blessed and grateful that my wife truly honors her word of marriage and truly, uh, you know, gave me a second chance and shows that she loves me. But all that was missing during that time. So there was an instability in the household that my son could feel like I was always one foot out the door. I wasn't very present as a father. Hence, my wife was stressed. So we decided to really take on our marriage with uh, relationship courses. And, you know, we went to work. Then parenting, right? I decided to do a certification as a conscious parenting coach, which I recently uh, completed. And so my wife and I both wanted to know more about conscious parenting. And the reason why I'm mentioning these are the big ones, right? We also moved from the city to the country to have less distraction for myself and for our kids. So we just took every area of life and we flipped it upside down. And we said, first, we're going to do the best we can here. And if, it, and if later he still can't function inside of a system, school or job, we may consider medication, but not at six years old, not at seven years, sure. not at 10 years old. Sure. Maybe when he's 16, I don't know. We're not no anti to meds, uh, but certainly I have to say if, if our lives continue the way they have so far, he's not going to need meds because he's already dissolved, I call it dissolved, his impulsivity and hyperactivity. He's no longer hyperactive. And he was. So shows me that his nervous system got to calm down because we were more present. We were more loving. There was less distraction in the environment. The school was less of a, a box that we were trying to fit him into. So I'm a big believer that all these changes helped him to co-regulate with his environment and, and calm his nervous system down so he would be less distracted, less hyperactive. And that's what we're seeing now. Do you believe that this death sentence of ADHD that, that has all been handed to us at the beginning, is it wrong? Is it a lie? Can you cure ADHD? First of all, it's not a lie, but it's based on very weak scientific studies. And what I mean by that is while I was digging around for the documentary, I got to a story that I could have easily made the, the full documentary about that rabbit hole. It would have been a conspiracy pharma rabbit hole. And sure. I decided not to do that. Because again, I hate pointing fingers at, oh, pharma's wrong or fast food companies are wrong for serving, you know, that does, that gives me no power. And I, I'm all about empowering parents or myself and other parents to have power. So making a long story short, there was a um, professor, researcher, author, Nadine Lambert, and she was out of Berkeley. And in the 90s, she started a study uh, on children with ADHD with Ritalin. She wanted to know is this really true? If I follow, I think it was 700 kids, don't quote me on the number, but a lot of kids, if I follow them for 30 years into their adulthood, 
will they really turn out to be delinquents, go to jail and so forth? So she followed these kids for 30 years. The study, the results were in. She goes and shares this at a conference, it's a big ADHD conference. And she says, I actually found the opposite. It was actually the kids that were put on Ritalin were more likely to get into smoking, drugs, trouble, and jail. And of course, the entire room filled with pharma, medical psychologists was like, no, nah, that's no, that, that can't be. It was a big firestorm, right? So she was about to publish this finding. I don't know the exact year, but I guess if she did it in the 90s, I mean, this was somewhat recently where maybe 10 years ago, I, I, again, don't quote me on the numbers, but I know that fairly recently when she tried to publish her studies, six months before that, she got into a car accident and died. Right. Now, I'm not saying there was any foul play. Some people say that, but she was basically never able to publish her study. Hence, in the scientific community's eye, it's not really a valid study because it was never published, but the results were there. Now, here's the interesting thing. I found her son on the internet and I reached out to him on Facebook and you know, he told me the whole story and I said, look, I would love to get my hands on that study because I'm doing ADHD research. I'm making a documentary. Parents need to know this because I was told, like yourself, right? You've heard this. These are delinquents that will go to jail if they are not put on medication. She's proved the opposite. So he said, uh, well, yeah, I don't know. You can try Berkeley. And I was like, well, great. I'm sure they have it. I mean, it was Berkeley funded. She yeah. worked there. So I contacted the person at Berkeley who then told me, oh, you know, we moved uh, buildings a couple years ago and I think we shredded everything. Jesus. And I was like, wait, what? Are you serious? Again, I'm not saying there's foul play, but so this never came out, right? Long story short, what I'm gathering from that is that it's not in the pharmaceutical company's interest to have it out there to say that, you know, if you put kids on these stimulants or these uh, medications, they actually might become dependent on a drug, on an external thing to give them value, to make them make it through high school, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And later, they will potentially fall into using drugs or cigarettes or whatever, alcohol and so forth. And she's proven it. Roman, I, I, you're literally talking to someone who she might as well have been studying me because that's exactly what happened to me. My listeners know that I am not anti-meds. We do lots of conversations around medicating children, how much work is on what parents need to do about this. I have run a residential treatment center for teenagers and have employed psychiatrists and have a meds room. And we are a holistic program because- uh, we have to look at both. You cannot, and even Avani Dilger, who who I've had on show after show about medicating children, has said, I've watched bed save people's lives. But I am that kid that Nadine Lambert is talking about. It did get me through high school. And the next thing you know, I had another good eight, nine years of self-medication until I got sober in yeah. May 21st, 1998. Like it, it's, that's my story. Uh, first of all, good for you that you, you, you know, I love your life journey as I was doing uh, a little bit of reading up on you. It's just very inspiring. And, you know, it's true. It's the self-medication is basically realizing, oh, if I take this pill or substance, I feel better and I get more work done, I get the praise. So therefore, that means unless I have that, I'm not as whole of a being, right? I, I remember telling my mom, feels like I need a pill to be normal. Yeah. There we go. You just said it. Yeah. And 
look, again, there's nothing wrong. People say like, oh, why do you always say labels aren't good and we shouldn't label kids with ADHD? And I always say, look, any label that empowers you or someone is great. If it's disempowering, and let's face it, when you, I always give this example. If you want to find a date, right? You're a, you're a guy, single guy, you're going to go out and date ladies. I guarantee you, if you ask ladies out in the street, hey, would you like to date someone with a mental disorder? They'd be like, uh, probably not. Probably Sorry, not. maybe not. Because the agreement in society of the words mental disorder or ADHD is not an empowering one. So why do we keep labeling people with something that doesn't empower them? Because that actually damages their, their confidence. And then the pill or the drug is right there fixing that. And now we have a problem. Now we have a dependency, right? You, I think you said without Ritalin, I may have not made it through high school. Correct. Right? So when you, that has to be dissected too, because it's like, well, what kind of high school was it? Was it the right high school for you? Is it the right type of education that we're still stuffing down kids' throats? Or is that going to change in the future? So yes, it's probably true. Without it, you wouldn't have made it through. At the same time, I feel like we should create a a future where someone with neurodiversity, right? Someone with ADHD has a school setting that respects their learning style, that inspires them, that the teachers are actually inspiring, not boring. They're not on the gravy train of collecting a check, right? It's like uh, the tenure, you know, it's like, no, they're inspiring the kids and they're listening to the kids and they're giving them attention, right? Because kids with attention deficit have an attention deficit because they're not given the right attention, not because they can't pay attention. If we did that, I mean, different future. Yeah, I mean, well, I I was saying I was on a ADHD summit this morning. And when I need to focus, I turn on my rock tumbler, I turn on heavy metal music, and I turn on Bob Proctor on my other computer and have that video going to stimulate the side. And then I can focus on my taxes because I've got the rock tumbler, which sounds like running water. And I get to know what's going on and the electricity of these rocks, this metal music that is matching the pace and the ferocity and passion that I hold inside my brain. And then anytime I tune away from my work, first thing I hear is Bob Proctor's voice reminding me that money comes to me in increasing quantities through multiple sources on a continuous basis. And that thing, it's an eight hour loop and just listening to it over and over. But see, you and I are talking from a place of knowing strategies. And one of the things I want to say about when, when you and your wife was like, nope, don't buy it. We need to work on our marriage. We need to work on ourselves. We need to work on the diet. We need to work on the stability of the home. We need to work on our parenting and we need to work on our school. Let's be honest when we say, because I, I came from a nice middle-class family with very progressive parents. First thing my mom did is buy a book that says, if you love me, don't feed me junk and change the diet of the house right? Sugar vanished in our house. Then it was anything with red food coloring in it. And anytime the doctor called my mom and said, Hey, get rid of this stuff. It was gone. The focus on the diet, the focus on the exercise, the focus on the after school, three o'clock to seven o'clock, all these things took place. But we also have listeners right now that can't up and move schools. They can't up. And even if there was a school specialized for neurodiversity, they're not always publicly funded, which means they're private, yeah. which means they cost money. So let's let's get into some of the nitty gritty of mm-hmm. what this is like for families who can't afford to change. It's a single parent. They're working full time yeah. to pay the rent yeah. or the mortgage. What do, what do we do here? 
That's a great point, of course, and it comes up all the time, right? And I'm 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 a bit extreme, right? I'm, I live my life uh, under the motto of where there's a will, there's a way, because I've seen uh, parents, low income, single parents at some of the private schools we were at, and uh, a lot of them got scholarships, free rides. They had, uh, you know, they would do a work agreement again. So again, I'm also fortunate. I grew up in a middle class family, so did my wife. Uh, we both had our own businesses. We had enough money to do, try private schools. Not like that much to just throw it out the window, but we said this is important for our kids, right? So we made it work. But again, there's always something we can do. And I think it starts with a plan, right? Because if you're, let's say you're a single mom, you have two jobs, you live uh, in a town that you think you can't really leave because you're, you've never been anywhere else or just using that as an example. Or maybe there's I only if, one school. Yeah, maybe there's only one school in town. The private school is like 20,000 a year and you're like, that's ridiculous. I can't do it, right? So the plan would be research is to say, okay, are there any co-ops in town? Are there mothers that are homeschooling? Should I try that out for a while? Now, here's the biggest deterrent is fear, right? Us parents, and including myself, I'm, I'm assuming you're, yourself, it's it's like there's a fear that if my son or daughter, if they don't go to a, a, a regular school, they're going to be behind. They're going to have a hard time fitting into the system and graduate high school and go to college. My wife and I threw that out the window. We, we said, look, our kids are going to learn. We trust that they will, if they're passionate about something, they'll pick it up. If they want to be entrepreneurs, they'll learn it, we'll help them. If they want to go to college, we'll prepare them for it. We'll get tutors, right? We do. Nobody has to go to college at 18 or 20. Why can't it be at 25? I went back to college at 30. Why do we have to do this at 18, 19, 12? What's the rush, right? So I think the first step and the book we're writing is is basically, and the film is based on the same concept, is three easy steps. For one is shift your perspective. Two is heal your shit, which we can get into later. Three is honor your child. And in order to shift the perspective, I think we have to let go of the I can't. It's not going to work out. It's not possible. And so if I want to just say this one last thing is like, if you really want your child to thrive in life, you will find a way. Just tell everybody about it, that you need support, you want input, you want information, and people will help. I want you to go to brabapp.com, B-R-A-B-A-P-P.com. Brab for Beyond Risk and Back. Brabapp.com, 56 parenting sessions, and the price is low. The price is ridiculously low because I want you to have this. I want you to not have to decide whether or not you can have that cup of coffee or a parenting class. I don't want you to commit everything you own financially to a parenting workshop or a parenting coach. I want you to have access to 20 years of everything I've ever taught a parent. Go to brabapp.com. You'll get the red sessions, the yellow sessions, and the green sessions, which is all the way from the Beyond Risk Kids the red, the yellow, the kids at risk, and the green, the kids who are doing well, but you know they're a world changer and you want to change something in the house that gets them to click into that higher level of play. Go to brabapp.com. 56 sessions, 20 years of experience is what I have to support you with. There is support out there for you. Whether your kid is dealing with drugs, self-harm, or ADHD, somebody's got your back. Let's get back to Roman. He's got your back with this ADHD thing. 
Roman, yeah, yeah, we went through the first step, which is which is this change the perspective, correct? This idea yeah. that your kid is, oh God, they've just been thrust into the 80 percentile of, you know, the deviant and the prison and the drug addiction and the, look, it's there in ADHD, but we really are still dealing with some antiquated environments that don't support neurodivergency. So that's the first thing is to get out there and change the perspective on what you're actually dealing with. What's the second one? The second one is we call it heal your shit. Um, the reason why we call it that is because we believe now that we've done this for six years, that when my wife and I started healing our own personal shit and then our marriage and our parenting style, and by healing, I simply mean working on it and, and transforming it. Our son transformed because we are modeling right beings for our children. So when I started to calm down and be more present and when my wife and I were more loving and when I started to parent more from a conscious point of view, everything changed and not like overnight, but this is like six years in the making. So we're big believers that the power that the parents have is by being fully responsible. And it's a little tricky of a concept. Uh, you perhaps know, uh, have, have heard of Jocko Willink, the Navy SEAL, ex-Navy SEAL, oh. talks about uh, it's radical responsibility. Or the point is, if we as parents become radically responsible, and radical means 100%, everything that's in front of us, including our child with ADHD, everything in our lives is our responsibility, not fault or blame, but we get power when we say, hey, it's like, I have a flat tire. I can either bitch about having a flat tire or I can say, I have a flat tire. Now let me figure out how to work with this, right? You're, you're talking about extreme ownership, Jocko. Extreme ownership, yeah. yeah he calls it extreme ownership. We yeah. call it radical responsibility. Yep, because it's the same thing. Ultimately, you know, blaming someone else, blaming a, 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 a disorder that, by the way, is made up uh, scientifically, medically, ADHD, like many other disorders, it's made up by nine. Uh, at some point, it was like eight men and a woman, all white, all in their 60s in a boardroom saying that's what it should be called. Right. So it's made up. It's, it's we got to we got to look at it that way. When, when we say, oh, that's why my son is not right or normal and there's nothing I can do, um, which side note, same with genetic. It's genetic. It's not genetic. It's actually there's no ADHD gene. And if, if anything, it's epigenetic, meaning the environment controls how, right, how our genes get uh, uh, expressed or turned on. So that said, really, if parents say, you know what, what can I do? And I would say to a parent, even if you're divorced, let's just take a divorced single yeah. mom. The first thing, or if, the, if that divorce is not working, if there's not peace or harmony in that divorce, that's something to work on. Oh, I can't because he's not going to, why don't we start looking into what, how you can be so that he may come around right now. I'm not talking about abusive, uh, uh, you know, cases where you really need to be separate right, restraining right, order. Right. That's different. I call that the 3% of, we can't really touch that with this approach, but for the most parents I talk to, there's always something that's stuck. There's some kind of resentment, anger, unwillingness to change, blame victimhood is a big one i can't look i get it there's many things that i thought i couldn't do and i did it and it worked out and it's just stepping through that fear so radical responsibility healing our shit really is about parents saying let me over here first 
let me first uh, bring some balance to myself, my, my marriage, my family, and then let's see what our son needs if that hasn't made a difference, right? So that's our step two. And three is just honoring your child. Like, look, I was writing something today about unique versus abnormal because your kids are unique. They're not abnormal. Uh, you know, I had Thomas Har Armstrong on, on my show as well, and he's, a, he's an author. He wrote The Myth of the ADHD Child. And he said, he said to me, show, show me a normal brain. Where is it? Let me know. I'd love, to, I'd love to go see it. Is it in a museum somewhere under a bell jar? I want to see it. Well, there's not because we're all unique. We're all different. But scientifically, we've had to create the term normal because of the norm and average. But that doesn't actually describe my unique son or your unique daughter. And these people are, these, these children are unique and they're not abnormal. So we got to honor who they are and guide them along, foster, let them unfold instead of mold them into who we think they should become. Talk about the documentary. Talk about some of these guests you've been working with. I mean, this is like mm -hmm. I said, as we look through the, the guests you got on the documentary, like, holy crap, Dr. Levine is on there. Gabor Mate, holy crap. Like those are some of the biggest, the myth of the ADHD child. When that book came out, people like screaming at each other. <laughs> you know, I mean, yep. it, it was, uh, you've got some heavy hitters on there. We do. You know, I thank COVID for that because I'm just, <laughs> you know, I'm just a parent, right? I'm just a guy. Yeah, I'm a filmmaker. I have some uh, credits under my belt. I've won some awards, but nothing major. But I was able to contact these people and they were just like sitting ducks because they weren't, and I say this with respect, of course, they weren't traveling or doing their normal tours. So they weren't as busy and they were excited to talk to people via Zoom so I did a lot of my interviews via Zoom, and that's part of the documentary. A lot of it is like intimate Zoom conversations with experts in their in their off home office, right? We wanted to make it different rather than going record every interview perfectly polished, beautiful, because it's about the information, not the look. I feel so. Some of these experts are, you know, they're not all anti meds. I will say that probably almost half of them have told me. Maybe that's off the records, but I'm not mentioning any names. They said, look, I still take half an Adderall when I need to do my taxes because I know it works and I'm an adult and I'm not going to abuse it. And I know how my brain works. I know how much I take and it's maybe twice a year, right? So they call that responsible, uh, 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 responsibly taking drugs when they need it. Sure. So I know most of my guys are not anti-medication, neither am I, but they're anti-giving kids uh these very strong medications and sort of making them dependent on it right side note but having these guys on was amazing here's why because i'm i'm a parent doing research and all of them pretty much talk about the same thing it all came down to it's a label uh it's based on symptoms symptoms are really behaviors why are these kids behaving that way what happened let's go look and that's the other side, right? That's not the uh, pathologizing side of medication and delinquents and all that. So if parents can just look at both and go, oh, I see. Okay, maybe I'll dig a little bit in my family trauma history. Maybe, maybe the thing that happened to my son at, at, at three that I thought is not a trauma was traumatic for him because he's very sensitive, right? Or maybe the thing that, that happened to him when he was born, nobody called it a trauma, but actually... 
that could have something to do with it. So once we look over there, then medication starts to sort of drift further away because we realize it's avail it's an available band-aid, but it's not a solution for life because ADHD is not for life. Most there's actually I think something like 65% of kids that were medicated later when they got off the meds and they got older, they grew out of it. When? Right after they finished school. Huh. That's interesting. <laughs> that's what I, I guess that's where my next question is going is, do you have through throughout talking to these experts and doing this research, I, have you seen the golden thread? Have you seen, is it trauma? Is it education? Is it, and that, we can't diss on the teachers, you know, we're, but we can diss right. on a system that is not just dysfunctional. It's busted. It's broken. It's antiquated. Yeah. And it's all we're offering unless someone has some crazy liberal hair and they're going to do some blah, blah, blah. And, but, but that's it. But what is the golden thread that you've seen or is there a mix in yeah. there? So if I had to today, right, we're not done yet with it and we're still living the story ourselves as a family. But if I had to pick one thread as the main thread, it's trauma, but trauma needs a very, uh, uh, um, you know, nuanced explanation. Because when when I said trauma right now, there's probably some parents listening to go like, "What? No, there's no trauma here." Oh, not my parents. I felt the same way. <laughs> not well, my parents on well, this show. We've <laughs> talked about big T trauma and little T trauma and the brain chemistry oh, for years okay, so, now. But but yeah. you're right. That's what they came here and went like, "Wait a second. What do you mean that divorce was traumatizing? I went through a divorce when yeah. I was a kid and I wasn't." So exactly. So so we really have to look at okay. If you have a sensitive child, which trust me, if your child has been diagnosed with ADHD, you do have a sensitive child, right? Yay. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. It's my superpower. And and the only downside I would say is that smaller, like smaller T traumas, smaller events that shock the nervous system were more disruptive to your child than they would be to some other child who's not highly sensitive or has ADHD, right? So we have to really kind of fine comb through our past. And like for us, for example, my son was born, they had to pull him out with the little suction cup on the head. <laughs> yep. um, you know, then, then he was taken away from us for three days because he had jaundice. Those are traumas. Those are Those traumas. Are like disconnects from your parents' nur new nurture, right? You come out and you're like, oh, I'm with mom for two days now, gone for three days. Yeah. And so, so we had to go look at that. And when I talked to Gabor Mate, he told me, he said, yeah, it's probably, you know, part of it is that, but also you weren't present as a father you were uh, committing your infidelities, you were not really there, which he also said he had the same thing with his kids, uh, not infidelities, but he was wor a workaholic, shopaholic, and that had him disconnected from his kids. Um, and so trauma really, the, and I should just say, events that, that shock a child's nervous system into defense mode, right, into the, the sympathetic, um, you know, it's like these kids are constantly on alert. And when you're on alert, you see the squirrel, you see this, a door is closing, you hear the music, you somebody's chewing gum, you need to do homework. You're constantly on alert and you cannot develop and process like learning at the same time. You can only do one. The brain can only really take care of one. And if you're always in high alert, yes, you're going to be behind learning and you're behind focusing. And so if we can calm that down, if we can uh, regulate, help our children regulate their nervous system based on their past traumas. Then, like my son, now we're dissolving hyperactivity. We're dissolving impulsivity. He's still a unique and sometimes difficult child, but not enough for me to go like, oh my God, he needs to be medicated. 
Roman, yeah, you, what you just said is a is a lifesaver for someone like me who was raised in this idea of we know you're smart. Why can't you just focus? You need to buckle down. This that was not my parents talking. My parents, my parents were great, but the the teachers, my parents having to battle with the teachers, my parents saying get him out of that class, put him in this one where this teacher at least is not going to be a douchebag to our son because our son learns differently. But the yeah. idea, what you just said, and I want parents to hear it. If your child is in survival mode, they cannot learn. Like, like you, that is not debatable. That is a non-negotiable. If your child is in a survival situation, fight, flight, freeze, faint, fornicate, feed. If they are, if their limbic system is activated, and their prefrontal cortex is not getting the blood flow it needs because it, the the brain is in survival mode because of trauma, abuse, addiction, assault, abandonment. If I may throw in a uh, lack of nurture, right? We can go softer because for some parents, like lack of nurture, yep. jaundice, uh, even circumcision for some kids is traumatic. Like there's studies on that. Yeah, every one of us in the in the 70s and 60s and 50s were immediately taken from the mothers and put in a bassinet in another room. The heartbeat yep. that we were developing next to was gone. Tell me that's not trauma. And everyone can say, well, you just need to suck it up. You can. Yep. At some point, and imagine, imagine you're just born, your nervous system is pure and it's, and it's so alive and fragile and all the noises in the hospital, right? There's machines, there's the slapping, there's, there's metal clinking, there's people talking, there's all this stuff and it's cold because you're coming out of a womb. Yeah. Like that's already an assault on the nervous system. And anything on top of that is just gonna, it's gonna last. It's gonna last until we, uh, uh, take care of it. So here's, Here's the bottom line, you know, you're asking what, what's the golden thread, yeah. right? Uh, and you said, you know, we all, we've all had trauma and, and you know, this is, by the way, if, if parents want to look up a TED Talk by Nadine Burke-Harris, she's the uh, Surgeon General of California now, she talks about it based on study, so I didn't make this up, right? But it really is about reducing the friction in the environment in our families and, and it really is about helping our kids uh, calm down by uh, helping them regulate their nervous system. And then they can start learning. Then they can start being aware of other people. Then they can start being less impulsive and feel, feel good in their skin, right? Feel at home. And, uh, I think that's what we're seeing. And that's, that's huge. That was huge for me. Roman, how are parents going to find you? Let's, let's, what's the name of the documentary? Can they go to the website and look, I know it's not out yet, still being built, but how are parents going to find you and connect with you? Absolutely. Thank you, Aaron. So our project is called ADHD is over and it's ADHDisover.com. The podcast is currently out and it's also called ADHD is over. And uh, you can go to the website, find the podcast there. You can email us, you can connect with us. I'm always down to chat. Uh, I, I, I talk to parents a lot that reach out to me, get on a Zoom. Here's what I've learned. If I can help, uh, my wife and I can help any day. My guest today is Roman Wyden. He is uh, ADHD is over. You got to find this guy. You got to go to ADHDisover.com and go look at that page. Look at the guess he he got for this documentary he's working on. Um, I this is this show that what he said 
to understand that that ADHD, that hypervigilance that you've all heard me talk about so much, how I've had to work so hard to trade, change hypervigilance, uh, criticism, sensitivity, dysphoria, uh, um, the, 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 the impulsiveness, the shiny object syndrome, all these aspects of my ADHD are the reason why I'm successful. But it's because I leveraged them. You've got two options. You either settle that nervous system down by creating an environment where they can learn and are not in survival mode, or you teach them how to leverage that ADHD survival mode. Or better yet, both. I want to thank my guest, Roman, for being with us today. Go follow up with him. Thank you to Deepin Productions for producing the podcast and uh, creating this killer music. I love this. Uh, I, I love this song. 